Years ago, there was a movie called Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And if I don't even know if a person can find it anymore or not. By today's standards, it would probably seem pretty hokey. But at the time, it could be a pretty spooky movie. What does that have to do about the Gospel of John? Well, the disciples were kind of confronted with the idea that there had been body snatchers who had showed up and taken Jesus' body. We're going to look at that today, and we're also going to look at, do we have the adjective that has been assigned to the disciple Thomas all wrong? Should it actually be discerning Thomas instead of doubting Thomas? Stay tuned. We're going to dive into that and more. How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now, let's get started. My friend, we are at the last two chapters in the Gospel of John. If you have been tracking with us, then you know it has taken a wee bit of time to get through this gospel. You know, John's writing style is so succinct. I mean, he packs so much information into a small word count. And there's so much material in this gospel that I didn't even have time to get into because we could be here for like a whole nother year. And I thought that might get to be a bit much. Also, when this episode first airs, we will be just days away from celebrating Christmas, the birth of the Savior, the Messiah, the one that has come into this world so that we no longer have to live in bondage to sinful desires and to sinful poles and that we can be redeemed and to look forward someday to a total face-to-face restoration with our maker, our Lord, our Savior, our dearest friend, and with love, divine, perfect love. You know, if you go to my website, um, one of the things that you'll see there is I have a line. What, why am I doing this podcast? Why do I speak? Why do I write? Why do I create resources for people? Because I want to see people engage fully in God's grand story, because we are all part of this grand story. You know, every book that you've ever read that has a plot, every movie, every play, all of the stories that we create echo the grand story of what is going on in in the entire universe and universes that we don't even probably know about. But particularly this story that is centered here on this little planet, this little speck called Earth. And one of the reasons that we are looking through the Gospel of John and that we focus this year on just studying the Word of God is because this is our central focus of where we can come back to, to know how do we live out this story? What's going on in this story? What is this story all about? And we need to be able to have that information so that we can live our one beautiful life well. So yes, today, this is going to be the last episode that we air that talks about the Gospel of John. 
maybe not forever, but at least in this series so far. And how appropriate that it's coming right before Christmas. Because, okay, we might not always think, isn't this seem like it's a little bit more about Easter when we're talking about Jesus' resurrection? Okay, yes, I get that. But also, it's a matter that this whole story of his life and the reason that he came at Christmas, the time that we celebrate to begin with, is because he wanted to show up here that God is with us. His name, Emmanuel, God with us. And he came, he lived a sinless life. He died. He was the, the uh, payment for our sin. He took that payment upon him so that we could be restored into a right relationship with God. And someday, just like he showed up at a totally unexpected time and manner the first time, someday he's going to return. So we have this unique position in this whole grand story of human life of being able to look back and to bear witness to the first advent that we know about from history and we read about in scripture. And we can look forward to the second advent and knowing someday, maybe in our lifetime, maybe not, but that will also come to pass. John chapter 20 opens with Mary Magdalene going to the tomb where Jesus had been hastily buried. His burial had been rushed. They had not had time to do the normal preparation of the body that they would do. So they, there had some preparation had been done. He had been administered some spices to the body. He had been wrapped in linen cloths. He had been put in this tomb. It was a very rushed burial. So Mary Magdalene shows up at the tomb. It's still early. It's still dark. And we have to ask, why does she go there? Because it's really an act of, of courage that she goes here. Remember, Jesus has just been assassinated by the political powers that be. So to affiliate with him was putting yourself in a position of risk. And Mary also would have known that he's not just been buried, but that there is this huge stone that has been rolled in front of this tomb and a contingency of humans of him Roman soldiers had been placed there by order of the oh I don't know like Pilate the whole governor of the province in order to protect that tomb she doesn't have a clue whether she's going to be able to get inside that tomb or not the soldiers might have just chased her away. They might have spat at her. They might have de demeaned her in, in any manner of ways. She goes, it's an act of faith. It's an act of desperation. It's an act of worship. Whatever the combination of, of all those motives are, she still shows up, even though she has no guarantee that she's going to be able to properly prepare Jesus' body for long-term burial the way that it desired in her heart. You know, sometimes that's what we encounter in life. There's some pretty big obstacles standing in front of us. Maybe not a platoon of soldiers, maybe not a giant, huge stone that we can't physically maneuver out of the way, but there are other obstacles that can be standing between us and how we so want to worship God 
And we don't have any clue how we're going to get around those obstacles. But you know what? We can take a cue from Mary Magdalene and we can still just show up hoping that a way is going to be made possible. Well, Mary doesn't quite get what she is expecting to find. She probably is going there. Maybe she's rehearsing on the way the speech that she's going to give to these Roman soldiers, and they might have pity on her, and they might let her just go in and properly take care of the body. We don't know exactly what all is going on, but what we do know is when she shows up, um, it is not at all the way that she thought it was going to be. The soldiers are gone. The huge stone has been rolled to one side. This tomb is totally, the opening is totally exposed. Anybody can walk in. And then she, she looks inside and there's no body there. Like, not just like nobody, like visiting, like there's no body. There's no corpse there. Mary assumes there has been an invasion of the body snatchers. And so she runs to tell Peter and John, and they decide they're going to go see for themselves. So they run off. She goes back with them. And when they get there, what they find is no soldiers. The tomb is open. This, this giant stone's been, been rolled to one side. And there is, again, n- no, no body, no corpse. Jesus is gone. What they do find are these linen cloths, and the Bible is specific in telling us that they find the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, and it is lying apart from the other cloths, folded up in a place all by itself. There is nothing in the Bible that's there by mistake. There's, there's no filler words. This wasn't like an essay written by a high school sophomore who had a 800-word count essay, and they wrote about 500 words and realized the night before they were 300 words short, so they went through and tried to find as many filler words that they could. Can you tell I've been a teacher before? Can kind of recognize that type of thing. God isn't about that. Nobody that's writing the Bible was sitting there going, gosh, what other details could I put in? Because I've got this divide worm count and I can't quite figure out, hey, I know, I'll just kind of leave a detail in there about this, this shroud, you know, that's not what happens. You know, we have this expression in the United States today. I don't know if it's big around the rest of the world, but it's the devil is in the details. I hate that expression. And what a lot of people don't know is it actually was um, turned upside down because the older expression was God is in the details. And that is true. God is in the details. Have you looked outside at creation any? Have you picked up a rock? Have you picked up a leaf? Have you looked at an animal, studied something, and recognized the complexity and the details? God is very much about the details. So why does he give us this detail about this linen cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. Not just that it's there, it's separate from the other ones, and it's folded up. This is a divine clue. And I just kind of have to imagine God chuckling at this, 
Jesus chuckling at this. I don't know if Jesus folded the cloth. I don't know if an angel folded the cloth, but somebody folded that cloth and left it there. So what's the big deal about it? Well, if people had just come in to steal the body, they would have taken all the cloths that the body was wrapped in. They weren't just going to to come in and then try to steal this body and do all the work of unwrapping all of the cloths and leaving them there and just carrying off a totally naked body. If anybody had just been wanting to walk off with the body, they would have carried it with the cloths and everything. And if in the process of that, the the cloth around Jesus' head had somehow just fallen off, nobody was going to take the time to fold it up and set it over there in a place by itself. The fact that these linen cloths were there was a physical testimony. It was a physical clue to them that said, um, there's no body here, but this is not evidence of what would happen for people who would come in here and just steal the body. They would either take all the, those linen cloths with them, or if for some reason they, they wanted to take them all off, they would just unwrap them and throw them in a heap. They wouldn't leave them in this kind of setting. God cares about the details of our lives, and he has these amazing ways of giving us clues to what he is up to in our life and in his grand story. That fold of cloth was a statement. It was a statement that said, I am here by divine design. I didn't fall off by accident. I didn't get left behind through carelessness. I was placed here. So you would have one more reason to believe that Jesus is gone by divine intervention, not the result of body snatchers who snuck in here. So I want to encourage you, look for evidence of how God shows up in the details of your life. Don't trivialize the the different kinds of ways that he shows up, maybe even in physical ways. I'm not talking about being superstitious. I'm not talking about being weird and wacky. You know, just because you get a parking space close to the front of the store doesn't mean that somehow God's approving your decision to quit your job or something. It's understanding that God loves us enough to pay attention to the details of our lives. I mean, doesn't it mean a lot to you when you have a friend or you have a spouse or or you have another family member and they bring you not just perhaps flowers or, or something, but they bring you your favorite flowers because they've paid attention to the details of your lives. Well, Mary sees all of this and there's nothing initially but confusion. Peter and John run off to go find the other disciples, and Mary remains by the tomb, and she's sobbing. I mean, she doesn't know what's going on. She didn't expect to see all of this, and at some point during this crying, she looks back inside the tomb for another glance, probably like, am I just imagining this? Is is there a body here, and I just missed it somehow? And what she sees are two angels. Now, It seems that the angels were positioned in in whatever appearance that they don't let on that they're angels. Although somebody would have to wonder if they were humans, well, how did they just somehow show up inside the tomb? But shock does strange things to a person's mind, and Mary is probably in shock at this point. 
And so the angels basically are saying to her, um, guess what? Um, Jesus isn't here. So she turns back around and she sees this third person that she thinks mistakes her, the gardener of the, um, the area. And how appropriate is this? I mean, how different this conversation between a woman and God in a garden and the conversation that a woman named Eve, millennial before, had had with God in a garden before. Mary doesn't recognize Jesus. You know, resurrection changes the way people are. And I don't just mean Jesus' resurrection. I mean, when we are resurrected spiritually, it ought to change the way that we appear to other people. A new life in Christ should make us different enough that people kind of have to do a double take. And Mary is just weeping, and all she wants to know is somebody please just bring Jesus' body back so we can give it the respect and care that he deserves. And Jesus calls Mary's name. One word, Mary. And in that one word, he says her name the way nobody else can, and she recognizes it is the Christ. Have you ever heard your name called in a way that, that you knew meant something besides your name? Maybe as a kid, you know, it was your full name, and you knew it meant, uh, I'm in trouble. Or maybe somebody has spoken your name in a way that lets you know, I am so loved. You see, God cares about our name. And I don't just mean the name that we're given at birth, but the names that we call ourselves, those labels that we place upon ourselves. And just like he shows up in the details of our lives, he shows up and he speaks our name, our identity, in a manner and in a place that can open our eyes to who he is and that he knows us. He loves us. He cares for us. And so Jesus gives an instruction to Mary, which she follows. And she goes back and she tells the others that she has seen the Lord. Well, over the course of these two chapters, 20 and 21, we see that Jesus appears to his followers on various occasions. And one time is when Peter says, okay, basically paraphrase here. Okay, what the heck? I'm going fishing. And so other disciples that are there say, all right, we got nothing better to do. We'll come along. So they go out fishing and they fish all through the night and they catch nothing. I mean, these are experienced fishermen. It wasn't like they were like, oh, we're just going to go out and sit in the water all night long. They went fishing, not just boating. They had the anticipation they would catch something. Well, they come back and, and they've caught nothing, not a Zippo, not even a tiny minnow. So when they're coming back in the next morning, tired, frustrated, not knowing what in the world went wrong, there's a person up on the shore that says, hey, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. Now, they don't know that this is Jesus at this point. And they could have just said, okay, I don't know who that strange dude up is up there on the shore. He's not out here fishing. 
We're experienced fishermen. He's just probably wanting to have fun at our expense. We are not wasting our time hauling up our nets and casting them out on the other side. It wasn't like they had a fishing pole that they just had to, you know, cast out. These were nets. They took work to haul up, to, to put together, to go to the other side, to cast them out. This was work. Basically, I think at this point, they're just so frustrated. It's kind of like, well, I mean, what do we have to lose? Whatever. They throw the nets out on the other side. And what do you know? There is a catch that is so heavy, they can hardly pull it in. You know, sometimes God lets us work really, really hard on something that we have no success in. Not just, I don't mean where, oh, it's a little success. I mean, where we have zero, nothing, nada. There's no success whatsoever because he has a plan because he's going to show up for us in a powerful way and provide more for us than we can think or imagine. And we will know with absolute certainty that was not because of our effort. That was because of God's divine intervention and favor. Coming up empty isn't always a sign of failure or disobedience or the removal of God's favor. Sometimes coming up empty is a sign God's got something better for us that he wants us to catch. Well, the disciples at this point, being experienced fishermen, know, okay, there's nothing natural about this. And John says, hey, that's Jesus up there on the shore. So the disciples make it into the shore, and Jesus is there, and he's cooking them a fish breakfast. Okay, I don't know if it's fish and chips. Just saying, that's pretty standard meal here in the States and definitely in some other parts of the world. The very man that these people had all abandoned after he had invested and poured into them for three and a half years, he's fixing them breakfast. He's not sitting up there waiting with criticism. He's sitting up there waiting with nutrition and food and with an open heart and with encouragement. Well, during that meal, when they're all eating, Jesus singles Peter out and he asks the question, do you love me? He does not say, do you believe in me? Do you believe I'm the Christ? Rather, he asks, do you love me? We can believe in Jesus and yet not love him. And we know from previous chapters that the test of whether we actually love him or not is whether we keep his commands, not whether we believe in his existence. It's not our beliefs that transform us. It's love. So he asked Peter this question three times. Why? Why three? Not, why not one? Why not two? Three times. And it was to the point that it grieved Peter when he was asked the third time. Why? I think it's because Jesus wanted to give Peter three opportunities equal to the three betrayals that Peter had committed on the night of Jesus' arrest. This wasn't payback. This was redemption. Jesus was giving Peter an invitation to affirm what was true about Peter. 
Yes, he denied Jesus three times, but he had also wept bitterly over his failure. He had repented as evidenced by the fact that he didn't just go off by himself. He returned to be with the other disciples. He returned to be in a place and a position where he could still encounter Christ. And Jesus wants Peter to understand his failure didn't cancel his calling. We need to understand that our failure doesn't cancel our calling. Well, Jesus goes on to tell Peter what's coming in his future one day, and it is not pleasant. It's about how Peter will die. And Peter hears this, and then he looks around, and he sees John, and he says, well, what about him? I mean, don't you just love this? I mean, here is Peter. He's standing on the shore. He's just got this boatload of fish that's been divine intervention. He's eaten this meal with the resurrected Son of God, and he's still human enough to go, okay, but what about him? Okay, I can so relate to being that kind of person. And Jesus basically says, again, Stephanie paraphrase here, mind your own business. You keep your eyes on me, not what's going on with those around you. And that's relevant to us today. Because you know what? Sometimes the Holy Spirit might reveal something to us, maybe how we're going to die, but more likely that there's a path that God's leading us down. And it's so tempting that we can want to look around and go, okay, but are other people going to go down that same path? What's going to happen to them? What's going to be their outcome? And God's response to us now is the same as it was then. Mind your own business. Keep your eyes and focus on me and let me take care of everybody else how I so choose. Now, during one of those times that Jesus had shown up, in a miraculous way and revealed himself to his disciples. One of those times um, that had happened, Thomas had not been there. And when the other disciples had told Thomas, hey, we've seen the Lord, Thomas basically comes back and says, I don't believe you. Unless I see him for myself, unless I can see the, the gash in his side and I can see the nail prints in his hands and I can physically touch them, I am not going to believe. And this is where Thomas has been labeled throughout time as doubting Thomas. But I wonder if we've actually given him the wrong adjective. I wonder if it actually should be discerning Thomas. Because taking somebody else's word for something, even fellow believers at face value, isn't always a wise thing to do. And so later when Jesus shows up and Thomas is there, he singles Thomas out and he says, Thomas, come here. You know, I heard what you said. So here, here are my hands. Here is my side. And he says to him, blessed are those who will believe and have not seen. And I don't think that that was a statement of condemnation that was like, oh, yeah, Thomas, well, you're not blessed because you had to wait to be see for yourself. The reality is all the disciples had to wait to see for themselves. I think it was a matter that he knew what Thomas needed in order to believe. 
and he met Thomas with the details that Thomas needed in order to be able to believe that Jesus truly had been resurrected and was alive and in a glorified body. And when he makes the statement that blessed will be those who will believe and not see, he's speaking forward to people like us who don't even have the option of being present at that period in time. So I think maybe instead of thinking of Thomas as doubting Thomas, we need to think of him as discerning Thomas. And Jesus met him just like Jesus met Peter and specifically what Peter needed, which was three opportunities to redeem his three betrayals. In the same way, Jesus shows up with Thomas and gives Thomas what he needs in order to have full belief in him. God knows how and wants to reach each of us as individuals. Well, my friend, we have made it through the entire Gospel of John. Did we cover everything? Oh, heck no. There is so much in this Gospel that we just didn't have time to go through. But I hope that you have enjoyed this this series. If you haven't had a chance to listen to all these episodes on the Gospel of John, go back and do that because it is an it is incredibly rich and powerful gospel. And better yet, as as you listen, go through and read these chapters and these verses for yourself. You can never have too much of the word. When this episode airs, it's right here in the holidays and we've got Christmas and New Year's. And it is absolutely possible to have too much chocolate, although I don't think you can have really have too much pumpkin pie and too much of a lot of other things, but you can never have too much of the word of God. All right, my friend, that's going to wrap us up, not just for the Gospel of John, but that's going to wrap us up for 2023. If you haven't already, leave a rating or review for this podcast. And more importantly, head on over to the website, stephaniepresents.com. Sign up for the the newsletter there. I send out with um, updates and news and all kinds of things every week. High impact. So you can sign up for that. It's very easy there on the website. Again, that's stephaniepresents.com. You can look at resources, speaking engagements that I offer. And I look forward to connecting with you in 2024. And remember this, you have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.